Uh, but take your Bibles and turn to Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. How many have been able to follow Esther from afar online or uh, catching up on YouTube? Anybody? Okay, we've got a few. Awesome. Great. Uh, so this, this will be the first message for some of you, uh, not for all of you. Uh, so I encourage you, go back. This is chapter 5. We've done chapter 1, chapter 2, uh, chapters 3 and 4. And this is the fourth message in the series, chapters 5 through 7. So we're going to cover three chapters this morning, uh, and I think you'll see why. It's, it's just the content and the way that it's packaged, the way that the narrator, uh, many believe it's, it's Mordecai, he's the narrator, the one who wrote the book. Uh, the way he's framing the story, uh, 5, 6, and 7 go together, and there's a clear break uh, for chapter 8, 9, and 10. Uh, so more than likely, I'll wrap up the series next week. Uh, which is probably the fastest that I've ever gotten through a book, even a small one. Um, but the Lord has been gracious. And I mean, I have been truly blessed by this book and incredible things that, that are here beneath the surface as, as we've unpacked it. And, and, you know, the piece, probably my favorite piece so far is the day that Haman uh, reserved to kill the, chil- the, the children of Israel, all the Jews, was the day before Passover. And, and it's the devil sneering in the face, uh, the, the ad- ad- adversaries of the Lord sneering in the face of God, saying that they would destroy uh, God's children and not be able to, to have the protection that they once had. And uh, the fact that the Lord is going to protect them. The Lord is seen. Remember, he's an unseen character. God's name is not mentioned in this book. How unique. How unique for a narrator. Uh, you, you have the sound perfect, Nick. Whatever the monitor settings are, I just want you to know that it's perfect up here. So you did well, man. For the, I, I don't know if this is the first time you've run the service, but it is, it is balanced perfectly. Um, that being said, the, uh, I was distracted by how good it was. I, I, I really was. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the point being here is you, you see not in his name being mentioned, but in his workings. The Lord is moving chess pieces perfectly around, and, and it's insane. And this, these three chapters, it is beyond comical. And it's not funny, but it is funny in the sense that someone is about to die in the narrative, in the story. Thank God it's the villain. Uh, but the, the story is insane. It's crazy. And, and the point that, that the narrator is trying to get to is that, listen, the Lord is in control. The Lord, every step of the way, is moving and working. The heart of the king is what? In the hand of the Lord, the Bible says. And so, no matter the encouragement that I've received, whether we agree, disagree, whether we align with our leaders or not, guess what? It's okay. The Lord is still going to work. The Lord doesn't go to sleep uh, when there's a leader in power uh, that he doesn't like. The Lord uses that leader. The Lord continues uh, to... uh, uh, move forward with his plans and purposes. So as Christians, don't, don't you think it's hard sometimes to continue to do right when you feel like no one else is doing right around you? When you feel like the leaders themselves are, are fake and the leaders themselves are hypocrites or the leaders themselves aren't allowing us to do certain things that we think are important or that we think should be done or it's not being uh, projected the way that we think it should be projected. It's difficult sometimes to do right in those seasons. But listen, this book, if it teaches us anything, it's that all we need to do is right. All we need to worry about is what we uh, should be doing in those moments. And the rest of it, we have to leave it and entrust it 
to the Lord. So there's a lot about this message that's not going to make a whole lot of sense if you haven't had chapters 1 through 4, but they're on YouTube and in a podcast, and so I encourage you to go back and listen to those other ones. Uh, But I'm going to jump right in here at chapter 5. Let's read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take off like a helicopter, because this is the first Sunday that I've had coffee on a Sunday, and boy, I'm ready to go, I tell you what. They let me play the bass today. I was so excited, just back there in my little hole, having a time with the in-ears. They let me play, it was so good just to be up here uh, worshiping. These are new songs, uh, except Holy, 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 that one's been around a long time. Uh, But uh, those two songs, man, that rattle one, I've been listening to it all week as uh, Aaron uh, continues to lead us in worship. I'm telling you, I at every stoplight this week, people thought I had lost my mind. Listening to that song in my truck, I had that thing turned up. This is the sound of dead bones rattling, man. And I was like going ham, head banging in my truck all week. I'm like, you don't even know how good my God is. H- have you thought about that? Did you think about that during the song this morning? Listen, there's a miracle left to, for God to do in this room. The Lord loves dead bones. The Lord loves impossible. He loves impossibilities. And how many have something in their life that you think is an impossibility? You think is, is just not doable. The Lord can't. It, awesome. That's great. Tell the Lord right now, Lord, I have something in my life that is impossible. It cannot be solved unless you do it. Listen, those are dead bones that the Lord wants to resurrect. And, and, and let's just entrust our lives. Let's entrust our hearts to what he is doing. And let's let him resurrect those dead bones in our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Jesus is enough. Father, he is more than enough. He is our greatest treasure. What we have in him, in, in the gospel, is, Father, amazing. It is, it is the lifeblood. It is our lifeline to heaven. And, Father, may we incline our hearts to you. Father, may we uh, entrust our spirits this morning to you. And, Father, we're asking for you to move. We're asking for you to uh, resurrect those areas, redeem, buy back, recharge those areas, Father, that we have let go to the world. Father, maybe it's our joy. Maybe this morning our joy has been dead. It's flatlined for, for a while. And, Father, we need you to, uh, to put an EKG, a spiritual EKG on our joy this morning and zap us. Father, breathe life into us this morning through this book, through this narrator. Father, through these truths in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, man, not bad, not bad. Esther chapter 5. Verses 1 through 3. On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing. Don't miss that. She dressed in her royal clothing. That's an important piece to this narrative. And stood in the inner court of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. Verse number 2. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor with him, and everybody exhaled. (laughs) The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be given to you. Now, let's not forget the setting. Look at verse number 16 of the previous chapter. It's not in the screens, but if you have your Bibles, look at verse number 16. Go and assemble all the Jews 
who can be found in Susa, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. Even if it is against the law. If I perish, I what? I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded. Last week, we ended with the fact that Esther commanded her calling. Esther, in this moment, said, I understand what I have to do. I need you to fast three days. I need, I need you to, to do this with me. Mordecai went, told the Jews, you fast. Let's prepare for Queen Esther to walk into the, queen's, walk into the king's presence. Now, remember, in this culture, it was against the law to walk into the king's presence. What I think is so interesting here is that the king can't catch a break. This guy is beyond the drunkard, right? We see him signing decrees away, signing things into law so carelessly. He just signed a decree tricked by Haman, the villain, just a a few chapters ago. But last week, last week's chapter, uh, just signs the decree to kill uh, what, what scholars think are a million Jews in his provinces for 375 tons of silver. And so the king, he, he's just, he's a knucklehead, can't catch a break. Listen to this, Vashti, and you can't miss these things as, as you read along and you see the parallels. Esther is all about reversals. It's all about something being uh, established and then the Lord reversing it. Remember, the Lord's not spoken of. His name specifically is not there. Verse 14 in chapter 4 is the closest, closest spot where it's, the Lord is almost directly mentioned. But the point is, is what you see established in the kingdom of Susa, the Persian Empire, uh, and what you think is reality, a decree, guess what, is what? Reversed. It's changed. And so in your life, if you are, there's so many applications, but if you are in in a moment or in a season where you feel like you need reversal, this has to be changed, this has to be uh, turned, understand that the Lord can do it. In a moment, the Lord could reverse that. So think about this, right where we are in this story, the whole story, the entire book is predicated on the fact that Queen Vashti, in the beginning, chapter 1, refused to come into the king's presence when she was summoned. Now, in order to enter the king's presence, you had to be summoned. And where are we in chapter 5? We're in a desperate situation that all the Jews are facing extermination the day before Passover. And then what happens? Now the new queen... Is coming into his presence unsummoned. The king can't catch a break. Chapter 1, the whole dilemma of God remembering this young lady and using her is because a queen would not come into the presence, summoned, and here Esther is really committing the same act. The same problem, just in what? Reverse. It's don't miss what the narrator is doing. The narrator is saying, understand this. Follow me here on this thought. What is certain death? If I perish, I perish, chapter 4. What the king has already proven to do, which is to kill some, kill the queen, essentially. Put her away. Most scholars think Vashti was killed. What the king had done before, he would do again. But he didn't. We just read the first three verses, and the Bible says that Esther walked into the edge of the, the courtyard, the throne room, and the king saw her, and immediately she what? She gained his favor. Listen, church, 
There may be something in your heart, in your life this morning that has over and over again plagued you, that has the historical, empirical data that has been a law in your life that that has uh, literally proven to be a pitfall, and the Lord could give you victory. The Lord can reverse that thing. This queen, I'm sorry, this king can't catch a break. I gotta, I gotta move quick, man. I've got three chapters to cover and I'm already getting hung up and rabbit trailing up here. Vashti had, depo- had been deposed from the office because she had not shown the king his proper respect. Esther has been made queen because she seemed like someone who would know her place. Her actions might shatter the carefully constructed persona. She will no longer be seen as an utterly submissive wife. Verse 2, she gained favor. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk verse. I'm, I'm going to pair these verses because we have three chapters to cover. I'm going to say verse number 5 through 7 is this. Verse number, and then we're going to walk our way through chapter 4. And, and we'll read the beginning of the chapters to set the tone. But we're going to go on this journey, chapter 5 through chapter 7. Are you okay with that? You ready? Are you guys pumped? All right, let's keep moving. Verse number 2, we see that she gains favor as soon as the king saw her. I I just have to pull up here. Hebrews 4 verse 16, it's on the screen. Listen to this verse. Therefore, many of you know it, let us approach the throne of grace with what? Boldness. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This is a planned rabbit trail. Esther had no one Esther entered into the king's presence. It was against the law. She was not summoned. We know from scripture from the previous chapter, it had been 30 days since the king had summoned her. She was literally committing suicide, but she decided to go into the throne room boldly. What excuse do we have to go into the the throne room of the king? What excuse do we have uh, uh, to, to stay away from the Lord's presence, to, to not go in? Uh, Hebrews says, therefore, let us come boldly to find what we need. What do you need? What is on your heart? What do you need reversal in? Esther needed reversal in the king's decree to kill her people. But you might need reversal in a relationship. You might need reversal in a work situation, in a parent situation, in a child situation. You might need some help. And the Bible says in the New Testament, listen, come boldly. Esther had no one. Guess what? We have Jesus. Maybe if you're Esther in this situation and you're wondering what to do, understand that she had literally no one. If I perish, I what? I perish. But guess what? She went in the throne room. What excuse do we have? She had no one and we have who? Jesus. She faced certain death and guess what? Jesus what? Died for us. She faced certain death, and we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's already died for you. She had to dress for success, but Jesus put, us, put on us his robes of righteousness. She had to put on a garment of royalty uh, to, to have success in the throne room from her position. And Jesus said, I'm going I'm to give you royalty. I'm going to give you that position by putting my righteousness on you. No need to come in ashamed. Why? Because Jesus has dressed us in his righteousness. She had every excuse in the world and we have none. Hey, let's come into the presence of the king this morning. That's free, not a part of the message. Just kidding, yes it is. But you know what I mean, it's not the outline. Verse number three, the king inquires, if you have your Bibles, just kind of follow along. The king inquires what Esther wants. 
watch the, watch the growth here. In, in chapter 5 through 7, you're going to see Esther. She's so smart. She, she literally builds the tension as the story continues. And so what we see here in verse number 3 of chapter 5, the king inquires. He says, if it pleases me, his fir- the first time, he's going to say this twice. But the first time he says this is, if it pleases me, if what pleases him, her request. She's coming into the throne room, so therefore he knows automatically, well, this must be important. And he says to her, listen, if this pleases me, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. This guy was, (laughs) he was a knucklehead. I'll give you half of my kingdom if it pleases me. He's a wino man. This guy, listen, he's, he was sauced seven days in to this chapter. And I don't think he's been sober once yet. Not one time. This king basically says, this pleases me, Queen Esther. I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. This is the story. And she's just like, okay. Verse number four, Esther requests the king and Haman to join her at a banquet she prepared for them that day. Let me remind you. This is a crazy story. They need to make movies about this. I'm sure they already have. <laughs> the point is this. Go to Sight and Sound. Watch the, the play. The point is, is that, remember, she has concealed her identity. Haman does not know she's a what? A Jew. Nobody knows. Mordecai and her have crafted this perfectly. They've laid, out, they, they've laid it out. And so at this point in the story, check this out. She says, all right, king, here's what I want. I want you and Haman to come to a banquet that I've already prepared. Watch this. There's more tension. You've already, not only have you come into my presence for a request, you, watch this, you were already anticipating my yes. I could have a Holy Ghost fit on that point right there. (laughs) Just may do it. I'm trying not to yell. The point is this. How many times have we come boldly into the throne of God anticipating a no? The banquet had already been repaired. She came into king's presence and she said, hey, king. And he's like, if it's good for me, I'll grant up to half the kingdom. She's like, I just want you to come to the banquet that I've prepared. Oh, you and bring your number two guy, Haman. Just you two. And he's like, (laughs) okay, sounds good. The tension builds. She knew he was going to say yes. Why? Why? Because she knew her God. If I perish, I perish. Listen, because you have negative, intrusive thoughts, it's okay. You're human. You're flesh. But it doesn't mean you should live in those thoughts. At the end of chapter 4, she knew that the reality of death could be sure. But she prepared as though the Lord was going to go before her. Don't miss that. Young people, I got young people in this service, yes. Young people, elderly, understand this, everybody in between, that our Lord goes before us. She had already prepared the banquet, I love that. The tension of Esther's request continues to build. The king now says, look at verse number six, this guy is a trip. So she has a banquet, Esther prepares it for her, Haman, and the king. Now, and, and the word banquet in the Greek, and I know that, you know, transitioning into the CSB, it's a lot easier in the sense of explaining things. But the, the Hebrew word for banquet, many believe is, is just drinking. It's not necessarily a party. She had with the intention, the weight of this passage is, I want you and Haman to come drink wine with me. 
That's really what she's saying. I want you and Haman to come do what you really like to do. These guys haven't stopped drinking. That's, that's a theme through this chapter, right? Remember Vashti? There was a banquet before prepared for her to come in. In, in, in the failure to her to, for her to come in, there was a banquet prepared for the potential queens. Esther, when she was named queen, there was what? Another banquet. In other words, there's all of these drinking parties. And so what she's saying is, I want you to come in, and I have prepared the finest wine for you. I've prepared a spread for you. And so while they're drinking, while they're indulging, here's what the king says. He wants to know what her request is. What is this going to be? Verse number six, while drinking the wine, that's the, a forward of what that word banquet means. The king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to the half of the kingdom will be done. Do you see the escalation? When she first comes into his presence, he says, if it pleases what? Me. If it pleases me, I'll grant you even up to half of the kingdom. And now, you see what's happening? He says, listen, whatever you want up to half of the kingdom. She's wearing him down. Do you see this? The people of God, and here's just some applications along the way. The people of God should be the most patient because we know who is in control. Do you see that? She's saucing him up. I love how the Lord uses debauchery and rebellion for his own purposes. The devil thinks he's ruining people's lives, and the Lord is like, yeah, you are, but guess what? You're still going to lose, devil. You're still going to lose. Let's continue. Verses 7 and 8, Esther maintains control and requests that they come back to another banquet the following day. She makes a request. The request is to come now to the banquet. The king, after having more wine, says, listen, whatever you want at this point, I'm good. I just want to know what your request is. And she says, ah, ah, ah. My request is this, before the request, will you come back tomorrow? I've prepared yet another banquet. Yet another time for you, me, and Haman to be together. And the king is like, <laughs> okay, okay. In chapter 1, Vashti's, Vashti's refusal to obey the king's summon left Xerxes trembling at the prospect that men might be losing control of their households. Remember that? He, here, he eagerly obeys the word of the queen, answering her summons to a banquet that she's already prepared. Here's, here's my thought here. At this point, the Lord is working. At this point, she can see that the king is what? Right in the palm of her hand. The Lord is working. He is moving. Verse number nine. Look at verse number nine. This is this guy. It, this, this begins the, the horrific 24 hours for Haman, the villain. Remember, the guy who couldn't stand Mordecai. Remember? Haman, the one who, in his new position, the king granted him, go ahead, walk around town. Everybody's going to bow to you. You're my number two guy. Mordecai, what? Refused to bow down. Remember, Haman just got a personal audience with the queen. And she gave him his, her special bottle of wine. It might be a little dust on. No, just kidding. That's a good theme song for the book of Esther. <laughs> it surely is. But the, 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 the point is this, is Haman is on cloud nine. This was amazing. I'm just whining and dining with the king and queen. <laughs> you see, what he, see what's happening? Look at verse number nine. That day... Haman left full of joy 
and in good spirits. Interesting choice of word. But when Haman saw, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, is this not providence? Look at this. But when Haman saw Mordecai, I'm trying to find the verse, at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear. Don't miss this. He didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence. Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. He was filled with rage. Haman was literally on top of the world. He was higher than ever. And then Mordecai. That guy. Mordecai is still in a posture, listen, of mourning, it seems. He's still at the king's gate. Which means he's probably still wearing what? Sackcloth and ashes. The very thing that that just tore Haman up was the very thing that was going to exterminate him. The prayers of these people. Still in that posture. Of course he did not change for Haman. He did not rise or tremble. Verses 10 through 14, as the narrative continues, Haman goes home ticked off. He is upset. He did not show it, right? In that moment when Mordecai was there and he didn't tremble or he didn't fall, Haman didn't want to give him the, he didn't want to give him the, the um, oh, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say. He didn't want to give him the satisfaction of knowing that it bothered him. So he just kept his cool and head on, headed on home. He invites, if you look at verse 10 through 14, Haman invites some friends over and goes on and on about all of his sons. We find here, and this is going to be significant at, at tomorrow, last week, tomorrow, blah, 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 next Sunday's message, and that's the coffee. Woo, can't control myself. Next week, we find that uh, it's going to be very significant that, that Haman has all of these sons, and you'll see why. But According to Persian tradition, and if you look into the historical data, someone who has many sons is said to be someone who has the favor of the gods. So uh, you, get, you get a little picture here. As Haman goes home, he basically is saying, All, let's, I'm throwing a party. Uh, Zeresh, his wife, why don't you invite all of our friends and bring them all over to the house, and I'm going to tell everybody about how many sons I have. It's so weird back then. <laughs> It would be like me bragging about how much I paid for a car, right? It's like, yeah. So I could do this now because I'm sure my wife is pregnant with two more sons. Two more sons. Favor from the gods. No, I'm kidding. But the point is, is he's just like, guess what? I'm not going to let Mordecai get me down. That sucker wouldn't bow down. Or I, it doesn't matter. He's not going to ruin my day. Baby mama, let's, let's throw a party, bring them all over to my house, and I'm going to tell them how awesome I am. And that's what he does. 10 through 14, Haman just says, this has been an incredible day, and, and I'm going to tell you all about how amazing I am. So once again, we see the sense of pride that Haman has. Haman is the villain. Don't you feel bad for Haman because it's about to get really rough for him. He is, he is showing what he is chasing what he is clinging to. In this story, Haman shows his true colors. The very thing that he's proud of is everything that he has, everything that he's accomplished, everything that will be soon taken from him. But we find that even in the end of his boastings, verse number 14, even though he has all the money that he could ever want, all the sons he could ever want, he has literally the highest position in the land, except the what? The king. And guess what? It wasn't enough. He tells his friends and his wife, Mordecai is just under my skin. Even after showing you how amazing I am, it's still bothering me. And you know what they tell him? Well, why don't you build a, a gallow? 
that word gallo in the Hebrew, it's, it's, at some point in time, it made more sense to, uh, especially King James translators, for them to put it in context of a gallo that he would be hung. But in, in the Persian culture, it wasn't gallows to hang. It was a stake to be put upon. So when you look up the word for gallows, it literally can mean pole as well in the Hebrew. So most people agree that Haman was, they said to Haman, why don't you erect a big pole? We know you have a plan to exterminate all the Jews, but don't wait to kill Mordecai. You're the number two guy. The king will do whatever you want. You go in there tomorrow, right? You go in there tomorrow and you ask the king if you can go ahead and kill Mordecai for his insubordination. And he's like, absolutely. What does Haman go do before the next day? He has the stake put up. They say it's 75 feet tall. Most of the commentators say that that's a figurative number. It wasn't actually 75 feet tall. It's like saying it was as tall as anything else in town. It's, it's this moment where Mordecai says, I'm going to get the one thing I can't have. Oh, and it gets better. Do you see this guy? The cockiness, the pride. I'm just going to put Mordecai on a stake for everybody to see. A precursor to the extermination of all the people I hate. All the people my ancestors have hated. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is going to get good. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Follow with me here. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. How does this happen? How how does this play out? Stay with me. Remember, they, they wined and dined with Queen Esther. Haman went away stoked, happier than ever. Mordecai, as soon as he saw him, it wrecked his day. Mordecai's family, after he tells of his incredible win of being with the king and the queen, they say, listen, tomorrow you're going to take this high and you're going to go in and you're going to request that Mordecai be impaled on a stake for everybody to see. And he's like, yes, that's going to be good because he had that unresolved tension. Oh, but guess what? The Lord was working. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. That night, sleep escaped the who? The king. The heart of the king is in the hand of the what? The heart of the king is in the hand of the what? The Lord. Is that not what's up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That night, sleep escaped the king. So he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. They found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Big Thana and Teresh. What a name, Big Thana. What's your name, Big Thana? That's a good one. I got a new name for my new baby. I'm going to tell baby mom, we're going to name it Big Thana. What you? <laughs> Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance when they planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. Verse 3, the king inquired, what honor and special recognition has been given for Mordecai for this act? The king's personal attendant replied, nothing has been done for him. You see what's coming? Can you feel it? Haman wasn't the only one that left the party with an uneasy feeling. Mordecai wrecked Haman's day, but that night, the king intention that Esther created. Think about this. Esther is beyond intelligent. She's so smart. She lets the tension build. She has a request. What could this request be? The king can't sleep. All night he's up. And what does he do? He goes, ah, maybe I'll figure out what the request is. 
go get the book of recordings. What is that? It's like saying a government document that shows all the executive orders that happened in the last two days, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's like saying what all, how, how many, all of the judges that have ruled in the last, like, we don't know if it's six months. We don't know where they started. We just know that the king could not sleep all night. And he goes, I wonder what a request is going to be. I want to hear all the recordings. Start at the top and work your way through. I'm missing something. I'm missing something. Something has happened that is causing her to do this, that is causing her to create this suspense, this tension. And I'm going to find it in the book of recordings, everything that has happened in my kingdom. And what happens? The fellow reading it, his attendant comes across, oh, and then here we see that Mordecai saved your life. Remember those two guys? Remember the story from chapter two? There were those two guys that were plotting to assassinate you, king. And he goes, what do we do for that? What do we do for Mordecai? And the attendant says, nothing. I don't see anywhere where we even honored him at all. In Persian culture, it was customary for someone that saves the king's life for him to be honored. Why? Because that shows everyone else that you better watch it for trying to assassinate the leader because he, he rewards loyalty. And then the king thinks to himself, well, if I didn't reward him, then maybe he's upset. Maybe he's going to tell other people how I wasn't, I, I didn't reward his loyalty. Maybe this could be the reason why I'm not sleeping. And at this point, remember, he still doesn't know that Mordecai is Esther's cousin. He still doesn't know. The Lord is what? The Lord is working. Haman literally, this is crazy. The guy's second in command, Haman, has literally just erected a huge pole in town. And Haman's still on cloud nine. I just had a dinner party with the king and queen. And the person that I hate most, he's going to be impaled on that stake right there. This is going to be good. And he, he gets a whole other day of this. Esther said, tomorrow we're going to have more wine. Woo-hoo! And when I, get, when, when I get a hold of that bottle, I'm just going to say, hey, king. You know that guy Mordecai? He's very insubordinate. What do you think we just take care of him real quick? Get him to sign another decree. Little did he know the Lord was twisting the king's heart. Hey, king, what are you missing? Get, bring the book of recordings. Up all night. That's what I'm missing. Mordecai, I never did take care of him. I never did. So Haman, can you see it? Haman rushes in the next day. He comes in ready for the banquet, ready for the next bottle of wine. Queen Esther's been preparing all of this. And at that moment, the king says, Whoa. Haman's ready to, to make a request. What's he going to ask the king? Can he what? Kill Mordecai. And in that moment, Haman, right before he can utter the request to the king, the king goes, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Hey, Haman, let me see if I can find this. Verse number six. Look at verse number six in chapter six. Haman entered. The king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? What should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman is so full of himself, he makes a grave mistake. He thinks that the king wants to what? Honor him. And this is where the crux of the passage, what I'm going to share with you here in a few moments, comes out. We see here the contrast between the villain and and the victor. Esther who wins and Haman who loses. Haman assumes that it's him. Look at verse number seven. Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, 
have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn. Here's what I want you to see here. There's a theme about royal garments in this whole three-chapter movement. Haman is literally saying, he's pushing the envelope. The two things that he couldn't have, number one, Mordecai dead, and number two, the one position that was above his. He wanted it, the king himself. Oh, the man that... (laughs) The men that you're going to honor, I would say, have them wear your clothes, king. There is a a tradition of this, Persian kings giving their their clothes to people that they wanted to honor, only in specific circumstances. But Haman says, and then let them ride around on your royal horse. And then let a crown be put on the horse's head, because it couldn't be on Haman's head, but you get the point. And the king goes... Haman, you are so good at these things. Haman, this is why you are second in command. I mean, hats off to you, bro. That was incredible. I mean, almost like you've thought about this before. And he goes, everything that you just said, I want you to go do it exactly the way you said to Mordecai. (gasps) (gasps) What? I mean, I I was about to ask you if I could host the guy. I got a steak prepared. At that moment, I mean, do you think that Haman could have got any lower? He was under the rug at that moment. Going out, yeah, royal garment, royal horse, crown on the horse's head. And Haman's like, I'm an idiot. Pride never stops. There's no end to pride. It's a sin that will strip everything from you and leave you completely vulnerable. Completely vulnerable. Can you imagine the situation that Haman was in? Haman is told, go do it for Mordecai. Look at verse number 12 through 14 in chapter number six. This is crazy. This is nuts. Well, well, let me just give you this this point. The Bible says that Haman goes out and does it. And he, at this moment, at a certain moment in him, Parading, he parades Mordecai around the kingdom in the king's car. Haman parades. This is unbelievable. And the Bible says that he covers his face in shame and runs home. I looked this up. There, it seemed odd to me. Like, why did he do that? Other than the fact that he was ashamed. But Haman has always been a dude that was like poised, even in moments that he was still second in command. No one had to know that he hated Mordecai other than the eunuchs that were involved in erecting the tower to kill Mordecai, right? So it's, I'm not saying, we don't know this for sure, but it's in the traditions of the Jewish writings, and I think the Mishnah, that rabbinical teachings teach that Haman's daughter was looking out the window. All of them thought that here comes a royal procession. It had to be who? Their dad on the horse. My dad finally got what he wanted. And his daughter saw that her dad was leading Mordecai on the horse. And rabbinical tradition is that his daughter fell out of the window and died. So not only is Haman completely humiliated, he loses his daughter in this moment. And many think that the veil putting on in the end of chapter 6 is him mourning the loss of his daughter. Then it would also ring true because at, at the end of 14, he goes home and his wife basically says, this is the end of you. Haman, it was never enough. 
Yeah, we we went along with it. Yeah, we said, go ahead, have Mordecai killed. If, if, If having everything in second in command, which he wasn't of that royalty, he couldn't sit in that seat. If it wasn't enough for him, go ahead. Keep moving, Haman. Keep suggesting that someone needs to be honored with the king's clothes. Basically, his wife says this. Look at it, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. And his advisors and his wife Zeresh said unto him, Since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. Your downfall is certain. His own family and friends that he had just the night before told them how great he was. Within 24 hours, guess what? Everything had been reversed. Chapter 7. Let's read verses 1 through 5. Stay with me. The story gets better. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. The king and Haman came to the feast with Esther, the queen. This is the second one, right? The next day. The king and Haman came to the feast when Esther, the queen, with Esther, the queen. Once again on the second day, while, see what they're doing? Drinking wine. (laughs) While drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you what? Seek. Even to half the kingdom will be what? Done. And that would be the most legally that the king can give her. Legally, according to Persian law. Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, Oh my goodness. She, man, she's a sly one, isn't she? If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. Can you imagine Haman? He's the only other one in the room that has like status, not the attendants, not the ones serving them. First, it was, the king says, how would you honor someone, Haman, if the king wanted to honor them? Well, I would do. Go do it to Mordecai. <laughs> Esther says, here's my request, king, that my life be spared. At that moment, I can imagine Haman like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is not happening. She did not just say that. What? This is a party, just so you know. No one's here to harm you, queen. Uh, We're here because you threw this party. No one's coming to attack you. No one. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. Spare my life. This is my request. Spare my people. Remember, she hasn't given up that she's a Jew. Not yet. Not until this moment. Spare my people. This is my desire. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. If we, she's so smart. I'm going to explain this in a second, but watch this. If we had merely been sold as male and female, what's it say? Slaves. I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus spoke up and asked, Queen Esther, who is this? Where is the one who who would devise such a scheme? And, And Esther answered, The adversary and enemy is the evil Haman. (laughs) 
man, this guy's life just got real. Can you imagine? He's just like, (laughs) it's done. It's done. At this point, what does she say? Why does she say slaves? Esther goes and calculates the math. It was not uncommon for an empire that had people that were coming from other defeated countries like the Jews to have insurrectionists among them. And remember, Haman postured that the Jews were very disobedient people. He postured that they were a million people that were insurrectionists. So Esther does the math. This is what happens. She does the math on if they were to have sold a million Jews into slavery to another country, how much money the king would have made. And she says, I would have kept silent. Why? Because the amount was so much more than what Haman paid the king. So basically she says, our destruction, our annihilation king is a raw deal for you. If you go along and allow this to happen in your kingdom, you just got cheated out of millions of dollars. Haman embezzled. Haman stole something from you. You'll never get the taxes back that these Jews would have paid, much less if you would have what? Sold them into slavery. She is beyond smart. She's like the queen's gambit. You understand what I'm saying? What a good series. Netflix, watch it. Just kidding. The point is, is like literally she's 10 steps ahead of him. And at this moment, he's like, oh, yeah, the king definitely could have gotten more for slavery, but I left out that detail because <laughs> I hated him. And then, of course, she outs him right then and there. What happens next? The Bible says that the king, if you look at it, verse number six. No, 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 I'm trying to find it. I'm all over the place here. The king extended, where am I at? Verse number Verse number seven. Yeah, verse number seven. You got it. King Ahasuerus said to Esther, no. (laughs) Said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew. No, that's not it. I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, there it is. You ready? The king arose in anger. (laughs) I'm like, where is it? Let me try it again. King Ahasuerus said to Esther the queen, to Mordecai the Jew. No, that's not it. King Ahasuerus, <laughs> verse number seven. The king arose in anger and went from where they were drinking wine to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. Just as the king, and listen, let me remind you, just as you think it can't get any worse for Haman, it gets worse. <laughs> Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king exclaimed, would he actually violate the king while I'm in the house? As soon as the statement left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs said, hey, um, there's gallows. There's a pole 75 feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai who gave the report that saved the king. They hanged, the king said what? Hang him on it. (laughs) Literally, here's what happens. The king stands up in a fit of rage, walks out of the room, and Haman goes 
and begs her, no, 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 please. And while he is begging for his life, there's nothing in the story that says that Haman would try to rape the queen in, in a moment when the king ran off in a fit of rage. Haman was terrified. But this shows Esther's poise. This shows her complete and utter control over her villain. She literally, when the king walks back in, goes, oh, he's come upon me. (laughs) And the king, who's three sheets to the wind, what? I mean, literally, you tried to kill and exterminate my wife. You tried to off her cousin, which he doesn't know at this point, all because you wanted you wanted to be king. It wasn't enough what I gave you, and now you're trying to rape my wife. That's what the word violate means. <laughs> literally, the king in his anger, the attendant just walks over and covers Haman's face. <laughs> Why? Because the king is so angered at seeing Haman. And the king in that moment, here's what happens. It's so reminiscent of chapter one. The king remembers Vashti, right? That he had put her away. And in that moment, the attendant says what? Um, how about we construct a plan to have all the pretty virgins come to the castle and you pick one for your wife? And he goes, yes. In that moment, we see the same exact thing play out. They come over and they cover Haman's head. Uh, He was trying to kill Mordecai, the one who saved your life. And the king's like, kill him on it. And he's done. Can you imagine the reversal that has happened to Haman? Can you imagine? Esther, there's, there's two forces at play here. Right, Esther, who was commanding her calling from the end of chapter 4, to Haman, who was being led by his pride. Here's the crux of the message. Number one, and there's only two, pride will kill you. It would be amiss for us to run off. Listen, next week, we're going to unpack how the Lord fully restores his people, and it's a beautiful story. It's incredible the way the book ends. It's incredible the the edict and the decree that's turned around in an incredible way. But right now, here's what I want to focus on this morning. Chapters 5 through 7 were rough for Haman. And lest we feel sorry for him, we have to identify what could cause someone to get to that place where they literally, he was completely blind to his own selfish ambitions. Even his wife and his friends said to him, Hey, bro, it's one thing to call us all and tell us how awesome your job is, but it's another to go after a guy that obviously has favor on his life too. What would cause that? Number one, pride will kill you. Proverbs 16, 18, the Bible says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. There's a theme here of royal clothes in these three chapters. This could be the most important statement in the whole message. Are you ready for it? Listen to this statement. Esther puts on, Esther puts hers on, sorry, in confidence that the Lord was going to work through the clothes that he had given her. But Haman desired to earn the clothes at any cost. Esther, chapter five, verse one, listen. She put on her queenly garments in an effort to get her into the gate for the Lord to go before her. If I perish, I what? Perish. 
Haman wasn't thinking he was going to die. Haman was thinking he was what? On top of the world. He was going to be king. Let's be, real with, let's be real with ourselves. There are moments in our lives that we're the laughingstock. There are moments in our lives that we've gone too far. And for me, and, and we could align ourselves with the Jews instead of the villain, but I think that the application here is for us to see the pitfalls of the villain and for us to avoid those and for us to see the success of the victor who is Esther and make sure that our spirits align with hers and not Haman's. The Bible is very clear that pride, the sin of pride, the sin of elevating yourself, elevating, watch this, even yourself above what the Lord is calling you to. I'm gonna say this statement again. Esther put on, Esther put on her royal garments, right? Remember in the beginning? To walk, if I perish, I perish. Haman requested the garments to be worn, right? So listen, Esther puts hers on in confidence that the Lord was going to work through the clothes that he had given her. But Haman desired to earn the clothes at any cost. Pride suggests that you deserve something or should have something based solely on your desires. Is your life being run by your pride? Here we have Esther's preservation of her life and her people's lives, but we have Haman's humiliation. Why? One was being driven by pride, the other was being driven by her calling. Church, this is a stark warning. All of us need to examine our hearts and examine our lives and examine what God is doing in our lives. Are we putting the clothes on to be led for God's purpose or are we desiring more clothes to be seen as something that we are not? Do you see the contrast? Both wanted the royal garments. One knew, one came from nothing, one was an orphan. She knew that God's favor brought her to that position and that God's favor would carry her forward. That's the difference between pride and humility. The other one said, I want this. And it was never what? Enough. Pride goeth before a fall. So if if pride will kill you, pride will, listen, pride will what? Kill you. What saves you? Humility. Number two, humility will save you. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I believe with all my heart that this is one of, if not the biggest issues in today's church. We have Christians that are not willing to wear the robes of righteousness in humility. And we have Christians putting on worldly clothes for nothing more than to be seen and heard. Pride goes before what? A fall. Why did that marriage? Well, he thought he was what? Something. This is a very simple message. We told the story of three chapters of the villain dying. But ultimately, when we pull back, we see that pride kills and that humility saves. Don't miss that. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt exalt you. Humility requires action. Listen to this. It is a pattern that God repeats through scripture and throughout history. Don't miss this. While Yahweh or God or our Lord initiates the work of deliverance, 
there is also the human response required. God will part the Red Sea, but Moses must raise the staff. God will destroy the walls of Jericho, but the Israelites must blow the horns. God sends Jesus Christ to make the way of salvation, but humanity must still respond in faith. You're living as a Haman or as an Esther. You're pursuing your own visions and dreams or you're responding in faith to the vision that God has for your life. It's the truth. You're either living for your own visions and your own dreams or you're responding to God's purposes. Do you see the difference? One was climbing, trying. One was living in what God had. God's name is not expressly mentioned because it's understood that they were in subjection to the Lord's plan. Listen to this. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. Genesis 50, 20. The supreme example of such serendipity is the crucifixion of Christ. An unambiguously evil act was used by God to accomplish the greatest of all possible goods, the salvation of humanity. We know that the Lord himself humbled himself and became obedient unto death. The outcome was the same for our Savior as it was for Haman, but one lived on to radically transform the entire world and the other, all of his family members were killed. Let me ask you this question. Will you act in humility and begin a relationship with the Lord that says, I'm not worthy of the clothes, but I will put them on and walk in faith. How many will will answer the call this morning to walk in the path that the Lord has for you? I promise you that's the path of humility. Lord, I will put on your righteousness. Lord, I will do what you would have me to do. That's the path Esther took. Oh, you can take Haman's path. That'd be a mistake. Pride kills and humility will save you. Every head bowed, every eye closed.